serving, caring, loving. These are all central to the mission at A Significant Life and at Faith Family Church in Victoria, Texas. We believe God calls us outside of the church walls to share His love with those right in our own backyard. Locally, we partner with several organizations to provide meals and essential resources to those in need. We help young adults phasing out of foster care, feed the hungry, and join our community to support our next generation and their families. We help create clean environments for families with Adopt-A-Block, minister God's love to our local prisons, and more. We also work to equip and encourage local pastors and church planters across the globe through the Significant Church Network. We strive to have a significant impact for God on our community and world. We appreciate your help in getting it done. Thank you for taking the time to nurture the unique significance that God's deposited in your heart. When it's done well, it brings a satisfaction that is incredible, and we become a special blessing to the people in our world. Today, we're going to learn to experience that as our son Jeffrey helps us understand everybody needs church because God formed the idea of family and church family. Enjoy. Well, when I say that I'm excited to talk to you, it genuinely is an understatement. I've been so excited to preach all week that today, it was like it was Christmas. I woke up at 4 a.m. and I was like, ah, almost there. I was drinking coffee, waiting to get here. Because I truly, truly believe in what I'm about to talk about, how church should be a nurturing family. That's the title of my sermon. But I want to stop real quick at the title of the series. The title of the series is Why Everyone Needs Church. You know that there's people that don't believe that. There's people that are like, nah, church, if I make it, I make it. It's not a priority. More worrisome to me is that there are Christians who don't believe everybody needs church. There are real Christians that believe that. They say things like, well, I just don't believe in organized religion. They do. Or some people are like, I just, I don't need church. I feel God in nature. When I'm peeing on a bush, that is my sanctuary. (laughs) Or you know what people say a lot? This is an old, old but good one. They say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And you're right. But you don't got to go home to be married. But keep your distance from it long enough and see what it does to the relationship. Now, I sometimes think that that. People think that all these pastors got together one day and created the idea of church. No, church is not any pastor's idea. Church is Jesus's idea. So if you don't like church, don't email me. Pray to him because it was his idea, okay? Jesus thought that more valuable than having him with us in person would be to have the Holy Spirit each Uh, and dwelt in each and every one of us and us coming together as the church when we're here and being the church when we leave this building too. So when people tell me they don't need church more than anything, I get sad. I know I was joking around, but really I get sad because in a healthy church, there's encouragement. In a healthy church, there's generosity. In a healthy church, if you fall down because you made a mistake, people aren't there to point a finger. They're there to lend a hand. And be like, no, it's good. Jesus saved me too. Let me help you get up. 
See, so I get sad when people don't think they need church because church was Jesus's idea and church should be a family that we belong to. And I'll say this, there's something so powerful about a church that is really with each other because our withness, I don't know if that's a word, but I'm saying it because I get to preach today. Our withness becomes our witness. Everybody say, our withness becomes our witness. Now I want to show you this from the text I'm preaching in. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. This is a picture of the early church. You're going to see the way they interacted with each other in a way that they were really with each other. And I'm going to show you that there were three things they did to be a nurturing family and compelling to their world. There are three things you and I have to do to be a nurturing family and be compelling to our world. So here we go. Acts 2, 40 through 47. Here's what it says. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Everybody say a long time. So if I preach for a long time, it's biblical. I'm just playing. But the Cowboys do play at three. I'm not dumb. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Strongly urging his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 people in all. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. Verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them and all the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Just watch how they act. You ready? Verse 44. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. How many of y'all think that's a pretty cool church to start out, right? I want to be a part of a church like that. But here's what I want to do today. It said, pop quiz, how many people were added after that one sermon? Three, you were listening, good job. 3,000 people, okay? So just think about this. 3,000 people go from really not knowing each other to being all up in each other's kitchen, literally, like eating each other's food. I'm slow to invite someone into my house and I'm real slow to share my food with you. And they're here, hey, pass the tortillas. Okay, I didn't say that. But they're like, having a fun. Who are these people? You ready? Just go a little bit further. Acts 2, that was verse 40. But if you start at the beginning of the chapter, here's the people that were in that 3,000. They said this. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Quero, Egypt, I was making sure y'all listening because it's a long list. Pallettsville, all right. Cretans, did I skip some? Egypt, in the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. 
I love this part. It says, they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. These are the 3,000 people that Peter preached to. And all we really know about them is they were different. I mean different colors, different ethnicities, different political beliefs, different financial situations, different grudges with other countries, different pasts, hurts, wounds, expectations. They are so different. And at the end of the chapter, this very different group of people is sharing meals in each other's house like they are best friends. And at first, the question they ask is, what can this mean? I'll tell you what it means right now. When Jesus is at the center of our relationships, our differences do not mean nearly as much as what we have in common. Not nearly as much. See, the first church, they were so good at putting their differences away. And to truly be with each other, we too have to put away our differences. Everybody say differences. Now I want to talk about this for a second. Because how can they be so different in verse 9? to where they're like best friends in verse 42. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Peter preached for a long time and he talked about Jesus, the message of the cross. Let me explain what that is, okay? Because it's not just Jesus loves you. That's not what they heard. This is what they heard. They heard, hey, we're all sinners. Without any intervention, we're all gonna be dead and in hell suffering for our sin. But thank God, there was a savior named Jesus who took up the cross, sacrificed himself for us so that we didn't have to be punished, but with our faith in him, we could get the benefit and the reward that he should have gotten. We could be one with the Father and we could be in heaven one day. That's what they heard. And they believed it, like in their heart. It meant something to them. Sometimes I get a little worried. Maybe it doesn't hit us, maybe like it hit them. Like to them, that saving grace was as real is if maybe you were in the middle of the highway and a big semi-truck was about to smash into you, but somebody yanked you in the nick of time, the way you would feel like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. That's the way they felt when they believed that Jesus really saved them from destruction. And all of the sudden, the Bible says, they had everything in common. Why? Because the cross was everything to them. The cross was everything to them. See, when you have a belief in your heart so deep, and somebody else shares that belief, it's almost like, did we just become best friends? Like, you believe that too? Now, here's where I'm going. Sometimes I feel like the church is more known for fighting over our differences, not being unified over what we have in common. Like, if I were to just go read Facebook comments that you post, I wonder if I'd be like, man, you're sure good at being unified over what we have in common. You're like, dang, you just want to fight everybody, huh? You chose violence today. Some, I mean, I'm just, listen, here's what I love about the first church. And we need to do an honest inventory. They knew that there were going to be differences with people. Hey, there are real Christians that probably don't share your exact political views. There are real Christians who don't have your skin color. There are real Christians who don't have your same financial situation. There are real Christians who don't share your same background and perspective, your same hurts and wounds. But more important than our differences is what do we have in common? At the foot of the cross, we are all sinners saved by grace. So we do not have any room for anything but humility. 
I'm serious. This is how we relate to each other. Yeah, we might differ in perspective. We might argue. But how many of you know we better love? Because Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by the way that you love. Not by what you put on Facebook. Not by the people you support, the people you're against. Not by how much trauma you've had or how much you've walked through and how much everybody else is. That don't help nobody. What helps, Jesus said, is people will know you're my disciples by the way that you love. And the first church was so good at putting away differences. We might not have everything in common in our mind. We might, there might be some things that we differ on. But if we're a church that keeps the main thing, the main thing, then the main thing is enough to have everything we need in common and be a witness to the world. Our witness is our witness. Our witness is our witness. But so often our different perspectives keep us from being united. And it's not just different perspectives either. It's the darkness of our world. We live in a dark world, and we live in a world that's constantly wanting to destroy community, to destroy witness. So to be with each other, we have to resist the world's darkness. I'm going to show you this, this church in Acts. They did such a good job of resisting a dark world together. There's a trajectory in the book of Acts. I don't know if it's on the screen or not, but if not, just hear me out. It's on your notes if you have them. In, church, in chapter 2, the church faced minor ridicule. In chapter 4, the ridicule gets more intense. Here we go. In chapter 5, it gets to the point where some Christians are thrown in jail. And then by chapter 8, persecution is so intense. The, the world is so dark that the church has to scatter. With all the persecution, though, they didn't fold because of the world's darkness. They helped each other through it. They stuck together. And they didn't let the darkness of the world determine their communities. Now, we don't face the same darkness in the form of persecution. No one's going to arrest you because you're at church. Unless you did something unrelated. And there's a lawyer here. I'm just kidding. We got cops and robbers. It's fine. We don't face the same darkness of persecution, but we still face a dark world that wants to tear us apart in what I think are way more sneaky and subtle ways. Now, I don't think I have to work hard to convince anybody in here that we're living in a dark world. As a whole, society's not honoring God. It's just where we're at. But even though I can't talk about all the darkness in our world, there is one that when I prayed about I just really felt like I need to talk about this because it's a subtle darkness of our world that keeps us from really connecting as well as we should. And I want to talk to you about it. Um, Why'd you just text me? Hold on. I want to talk to you about it because there's a darkness in in our world that keeps us from being together as much as we should. Um, I'm sorry, this is important. Hold on, sorry. It's like this thing in our world and it keeps like we're together, but we're not always like with each other, you know? Oh, did y'all get my point yet? Did y'all get my, listen, at some point we walking around with textually transmitted diseases. Now, 
I'm not saying, I'm not one of those people that's like, this is demonic. No, this can be used for good or for bad. But I'm just telling you a way that I see it being used in our society and the day we live in. And maybe if I'm on point and I'm preaching to the right people, you can preach with me. Because when I see this, I see we're in one of two camps a lot of times. We're either stuck trying to impress people behind a screen and neglect what God has put in our face. So I'm just trying to show, this is what I did. These are my friends. This is what I have. Or if we're not trying to impress people, we're on the other side of that, seeing what people are posting or saying or commenting, and we feel the need like we got to live up to whatever we see. You don't even know if what they said is real. Got a new boat. They don't post it. They're 100K in debt. (laughs) But we spend so much time just, thank you. (laughs) Listen, if I was a fly in your living room, or maybe today we'll say if I was a cricket in your living room, <laughs> how much time would I see your family together, but not with, in vicinity, but not connecting at a heart level? Man, we spend so much time wishing we were living somebody else's life that we're not even focusing on the one God gave us. Let me tell you about one of the darkest pressures we face in our world. It's called materialism. We're always, well, if I had that, I'd be happy. If I got that promotion, then I'd be happy. If my wife looked like that, I'd be happy too. Can I just be honest? You will never be happy ignoring what God gave you. You will only be happy investing into what God gave you. We've got to learn to invest. We've got to learn to kill comparison. We've got to learn to say, God, this is the life you gave me, and I'm going to steward it with all I have. See, our witness is our witness. And that's true in marriage. That's true in the church. We've got to resist the darkness of our world. And there's a lot. But make sure you're using this for good. Because it's tearing people apart, I think, more than it's holding people together sometimes. The early church was so attractive to people. Why? Well, they put away their differences. They resisted the darkness. But also, I want to show you this, and then I'll close, I promise. They removed the distance between each other. To truly be with each other, we have to remove all the distance. Look at verse uh, 46 through 48. It says, they worshiped together at the temple. Everybody say temple. Each day. And they met in homes. Everybody say homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Did you see how they were like at the temple and they were in people's house eating? Something we say at Faith Family, my dad came up with it. He said, we care about crowds and circles. Let me explain that. We care about crowds, meaning unapologetically, we care how many people are in this building. Don't get over spiritual with me because we care about how many people are here to learn the word of God. Why would I not? 
We care about how many people are worshiping God and around other like-minded believers who are going to spur them on to good works. Like Hebrews says, we care about that stuff. However, crowds aren't enough. You got to be in circles. See, the temple's important, but so is the table. Like, I think sometimes we can just be like, well, I went to the temple, but we have no one at our table in our own house talking to. And that's, you know, not good enough either. The early church did both. We got to remove the distance. Hospitality, it's a spiritual discipline that removes the distance, but it's not always easy to have people over, is it? Because we make excuses. If you're like me, I'm like, well, there's roaches in my house. I don't want people to come over. (laughs) We just sprayed two weeks ago. Or, you know, my couch is ratty. I don't want to have people on it. It's embarrassing. I can't cook good enough. I don't have people over. That's, I've used all these excuses in my own life. And then you know what I learned? At the root of us not wanting to be hospitable sometimes is pride. Because we are more concerned with people being impressed in our house, not concerned on if they feel welcomed and wanted in it. There's a scholar that says, the most common reason for the reluctance to host others often stem from pride. To be ashamed of our furniture or afraid of serving an inadequate meal can best be described as pride. True hospitality has nothing to do with impressing people. It has everything to do with making them feel welcomed and wanted. Wasn't this Jesus' point when Martha was stressed about the meal? He's like, hey, this is secondary. Let's hang out. I'm here. I started praying over this sermon. It's one of the easiest sermons that I've given. You know how easy it is for me to stand up here and talk about church as a family? because I've lived it. Listen, Eden came down when I was at college and uh, it was so funny. I was visiting from college and she said, uh, well, she saw everybody like giving me hugs and saying like, oh, you don't know, we used to change his diapers, to which I replied, no, I'm gonna change theirs soon. And so, <laughs> but she would, she would see all, all of you guys, so many people I've known my whole life, just love me, pour into me. And you know what she said? She said, dang, you've been so confident your whole life because your whole life you've had some big old family tell you how loved you are and how awesome. And I was like, darn straight. Don't forget it either. But I was thinking about it like I've always been pretty confident. I shouldn't have always been very confident. Have you ever seen a picture of me at 12? I'm fat and got crooked teeth. I look like a Teletubby and a thumb had a baby. That's what I look like. But I never, I never lacked confidence and identity. Why? Because I had family and their last names weren't always Graf. I look around, I don't really see a church. I see a family because that's what it's been to me. So it's like, talk about how church is a nurturing family. Easy. I wouldn't be who I am today if church wasn't a nurturing family. But it's not just for pastors, kids. That's how it's supposed to be for everybody. Everybody's supposed to have a church that cares like that. Everybody's supposed to have people that care. But sometimes, if I'm being honest, it's not always the church. Sometimes it's the people. Well, that church is too big to be connected. Well, this one was 3,000 people, so let's maybe find a different excuse. Can I be real? Because why haven't you gotten a small group? Why haven't you got on a serve team where you're rubbing shoulders? Or if you really want people to feel connected, then the next time somebody that you trust says, how you doing? Don't just say, fine. Why haven't we been honest? 
Sometimes we're mad that people aren't checking up on us or being honest. Meanwhile, we're being fake, saying that everything's fine. People can't read your mind. I'm being honest. I, and I don't say that in an ugly heart. I say that because I care about you. I say that because I've been a product of somebody who's been poured into by a village and it takes a village to raise a child. And I tell you, when you actually will plug in where God planted you and be honest, then in a healthy church, you're met with love. You're met with encouragement. Something's going wrong. I said it earlier. We're not trying to point a finger. We want to lend a hand and pick you out of the mud. You know why? Because God picked us up out of the mud. Why do you think we exist on this earth? We're just trying to do for other people what he first did for us. We love because he first loved us. So as I close, I want to tell you, as we really see the family nature of that first church and we put away our differences, we resist the darkness together, and we remove the distance... I got two challenges for you, okay? Here's the first challenge. I want you to every week prioritize learning and worshiping in God's house. Every week. It's important. It's important to come here and worship together. But here's my other challenge. Every month, I wanted to say week, but I said month. Every month, have a church member into your house and pray together. Why? Because we need each other. And the world needs to see the church be a family. Our witness is our witness. Serving, caring, loving. These are all central to the mission at A Significant Life and at Faith Family Church in Victoria, Texas. We believe God calls us outside of the church walls to share His love with those right in our own backyard. Locally, we partner with several organizations to provide meals and essential resources to those in need. We help young adults phasing out of foster care, feed the hungry, and join our community to support our next generation and their families. We help create clean environments for families with Adopt-A-Block, minister God's love to our local prisons, and more. We also work to equip and encourage local pastors and church planters across the globe through the Significant Church Network, We strive to have a significant impact for God on our community and world. We appreciate your help in getting it done. November's a month where we enjoy giving thanks. And I'm so thankful that Jesus has made us his ambassadors, aren't you? He taught us according to Acts 20 verse 32 that it's even more blessed to give than it is to receive. And it really is because we first have to receive to give, right? And when we help others receive, you know what? We not only bring joy to their hearts, but we multiply the joy within our own hearts. And we're so thankful we can do that in so many ways in Victoria and across the crossroads and throughout the United States of America through the Significant Church Network. If you and your church desire sharpening and strengthening through fellowship with other great church leaders, we'd love to connect with you at Significant Church. I was born in Goliath, Texas, and we lived in a community right outside of Goliath called Wiesek. I have no good memories of my early childhood except when my dad wasn't around. 
I swore I would not be an alcoholic. I swore I would never, ever, ever start anything with anybody. But when I grew up, I turned into my dad. And I became a monster. I had a brother-in-law. And one night I was sitting in the living room and I pulled out my 45 from underneath the pillow. And I took it off safety and I racked it back. And I said, I think I'm gonna take a trip, Frank. He says, no, please come to my church. He said, there's a class I want you to go to. So I started going to class and it has helped me so much. There is so much love in Faith Family Church and the programs they have like Celebrate, all the outreach ministries. What would we do without Faith Family? What would I do? Become a monster again? He's a God of second chances and thirds and fourths and fifths and sixths and sevenths. I've seen so many lives change. Faith Family Church has something that is unique, not only for our area, but for the whole country. If I mess up, they will tell me, but they don't beat me over the head with it. They gently point me in the right direction. I've never had that from any of my family. Faith Family is my Pastor Jim Graff's A Significant Life Ministry is now reaching millions around the globe, carrying God's message of hope to those in need, as well as those of us struggling through life in these uncertain times. Learn more about Pastor Jim Graff's ministry at asignificantlife.com and receive encouragement with his free weekly Step into Significance devotional. Watch impact testimonies, catch up on shows you may have missed, and read about how his family ministers together worldwide. We appreciate you joining us with your prayers and financial support. Join our tribe today at asignificantlife.com.